Well, it's so good to be with you this morning. Uh, we're starting a new series in the book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible, obviously we'd love for you to turn there. You can use a device if you have one that can get the Bible, the Bible app. Uh, there's a lot of different options for looking at God's Word, and I want to encourage you to it. It's a great series to, uh, to use your Bible, to look at it, to study it. I would encourage you to study. This is a wonderful book of um, the Bible that I love to study and enjoy it and excited to look together uh, at that pa- this passage of Scripture with you this morning. Um, I want to ask you something, though. So uh, there, there's this, I don't know about you, but like I, I know when I was a child, um, I was a, a picky eater. I don't know, any picky eaters out there in the room? Anyone, anyone? Yes, yes, sweet, sweet. Anybody used to be a picky eater at one point in your life? You're like, yep, I was like, no vegetable. Anybody like still no vegetables at this point? Anyone? <laughs> All right, a couple. Um, yeah, I, okay, I've, I've, I've branched out a little bit. So so when I, was a, when I was a child, I don't know if this is your experience, but I was a child, so my parents, we, all of my, my grandparents and all, both sets of my grandparents lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. So within about 15-ish minutes from my, from my parents' house, the house I grew up in. And um, so usually on like fr- Saturday uh, afternoon, evening, so for dinner, uh, my parents would get Chinese food. Well, I was, a, I, was a, I was a kid, and I'm like, I don't like Chinese food. And so consistently, my parents would always go to Hardee's and get me a cheeseburger, and they would proceed to still have their Chinese food. So this was like decades of my life, okay? Okay, no, not decades, but at least a full solid decade, at least, of me getting a cheeseburger from Hardee's while my parents had... Um, uh, and my brother even had Chinese food. Now, I don't know, you might not like Chinese food. I don't know where you are on the spectrum of different types of food that you like. But so, so, so there was a few different things. So also growing up in my house, my dad would, would grill out. He would love to grill out. So there was hamburgers, hot dogs. I liked hamburgers. And he would every once in a while do steaks. And so the only steak I had ever had was my dad's steak. And I only always had it the way my dad likes it, which is very, very overcooked. Which <laughs> is what I would say. They call it well done. I say way overcooked. Um, and so that's the only steak I'd ever had, you know, like about half inches about thick and like dark in the middle, like completely dark. Like that's just how my dad made it. That's how he liked it. And so that's what I knew. So, I, I mean, for years, this is, I'm like, who likes steak? Like steak's disgusting to me. I'm like, I just keep chewing on it and it just never, I'm like, give me more Coke or give me more water. I got to get this stuff down. And so for my life, my experiences were so limited And so as I got into college, I started to experiment with salads (laughs) and decided to have a salad. And I'm like, man, this is actually pretty good. Um, And so and then I got a little bit further in life. And then all of a sudden, you know, my wife, as I meet Amanda, they go to Japanese restaurants. And I'm like, what happens at Japanese restaurants? I don't know what this is like. And then I get to watch as the chef does cool tricks and all this stuff. And then he takes rice and he makes it taste good. And then, and then he, he takes steak and he cuts it and it's not too cooked. It actually ta- like had some flavor to it. And, uh, and so I, all of a sudden my experiences were getting better. And I'm like, wait. My Hardee's hamburger was the limit. I mean, that was like the height of my week was a, a Hardee's hamburger. I don't know when the last time I've actually had a Hardee's hamburger. It's been a, it's been a few years probably. Um, and then, so then one day, someone gave us a Capital G- Grill uh, gift card. Now, I don't know. Maybe you've never been to Capital Grill. I, I, I would say maybe don't go. It's really expensive. I, I was given a gift card. That's why I went. And so my wife and I, we go to, uh, to Capital Grill, and I have a steak from Capital Grill. 
and I'm like, holy moly, this is the greatest thing I've ever tasted in my mouth before. It was so juicy. It was like my knife didn't have to hardly touch it, and it would just cut right through it. When I, my teeth hit it, it disappeared. It like dissolved in my mouth. And it went <laughs> Shelby's giving me faces. <laughs> She's like, like about to throw up in the back. Um, and so like, and so I, what happened for me was like, all of a sudden I realized, I mean, I was settling for lesser things and had the, no idea there was these great things. Like some of you, we were talking about this the other day, like their love for seafood. Like I did not have that experience. So I'm still not, I'm, maybe I'm still experiencing with lesser things. I'm not sure. I haven't tried the crabs and lobster yet. So maybe someday, maybe that's going to be in my 40s. So we're coming up on them. So here, here we go. Maybe in the 40s, a new decade, maybe I'll try a new delicacy. I'm not sure. Um, but but there's, this, there's this idea that we tend to go after lesser things. And what I love about the study of the book of Colossians is Paul's like, there is the greatness of who Christ is, and that, his greatness, his magnitude, he is literally above all. Like, and we're, we're caught up with lesser things. We're thinking that, oh, the things of this life are enjoyable when there's the richness of knowing Christ. And Paul is going to hit this through this short little book. I mean, only four chapters. We're going to walk through it kind of quickly. We're going to look at 14 verses even today. But really what he gets at is like, is God is so great. He's so powerful. Like, it's like scaling a, a mountain and you're like, oh my word, who knew that the earth was so big? I remember, for me, the first time I got on an airplane, I was also talking about my life experiences. I think I was 18 the first time I ever flew. Some of you might be like, I still haven't flown. Okay, well, good. Uh, but, like, for me, like, I had, I had never flown before. And I remember the first time I flew, I was terrified. <laughs> first step. Terrified of the airplane. I'm like, this is, I'm literally hanging, suspending in space by something with wings and some big engines. It just, all of it made me scared to death. And so I was flying to Miami and I just remember though, you know, I had the courage to look out the window and just see the bigness of our creation. All of a sudden to see um, the, 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 I mean, like, I'm like, I think I can see the curvature of the, of the earth. You know, I mean, there is the whole theory of like the flat earth and all that stuff. I mean, it's like, okay, I, I've been in the sky. I, th I feel like I see a curvature. Um, and so, but like to see that picture, and I remember when we were flying into Miami and seeing all the lights, and you're just like, oh my word, there's downtown. Like you just get this bigger picture. And this is what I want us to do as Paul is trying to say, let me show you Christ. Let me show you something way better than what you're experiencing. That hearty sandwich is worthless <laughs> compared to knowing Christ. And what he, what he does is he, he opens this letter so Paul, this is one of the prison epistles, epistles so a, a book, a letter that was written to a church. So these churches were forming. So to give you a little picture of what's going on in the New Testament, these churches are forming. They're being formed. And so what's happening is the gospel, the resurrection that we celebrated last week happened. The disciples are blown away and they're mobilized to like, we got to tell everybody, Jesus is alive. Let me tell you about the gospel. Let me tell you about that Jesus saved. He's died for you. Repent and believe the gospel and live a, a, a beautiful life all following him and making him known. And so they plant these churches. And so here, Epaphras had gotten saved earlier on in, in, in Paul's ministry. And here, Epaphras goes to this, this city in Colossae, and he plants a church there. Paul now is in prison, and he writes several different letters. I mean, like, I guess what else are you going to do in prison? And so he begins to just write, and he writes these letters encouraging or challenging, trying to equip different churches. And here he writes this letter to this church in Colossae. And so he's going to naturally introduce himself. So let's look at this together. And what we're going to see 
in our study is we're going to see this just in this opening part of the letter is these two different prayers that pr- Paul is praying for uh, this church. And I think there's a lot that we can learn um, from this passage of scripture. So I want us to look at it. We're going to look kind of quickly through this first section. So verses one, one through eight, it says this, this is God's word. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. So Paul is, he's designating himself. And he's saying, I'm apostle. I'm a sent one. So God has sent me as a messenger to proclaim his goodness, to proclaim his glory, to tell the world about him. I have been sent by God. I've seen the resurrected one, and I have come to share this. And so he's coming with his authority. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, his partner in his ministry, he says, our brother, to the saints. So again, the saints, this designation of believers, to the believers, the saints, and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. So Paul's kind of, if you've, if you've not read much of the New Testament, Paul, his writings, he introduced himself usually with long greetings. So he gives this greeting here. And then he transitions quickly to this prayer. And I want us to look at this first prayer in this way. It's this prayer, and this is in your notes here, it's this prayer of thanksgiving. He prays this prayer of thanksgiving. He's thankful for these people. You see, when you read 1 Corinthians or you read some of the other New Testament letters that Paul wrote, not always is he like, man, you guys are awesome. I'm so thankful for you. I've been hearing great things about you. This is incredible. But this one, it actually does. Sometimes he chides them. He's, he's coming hard after them because he's hearing about the errors in doctrine and the, the sin that's infiltrated a church or the, or, or the disunity. And so here he begins this prayer with a prayer of thanksgiving. And so listen to what he says in his prayer in this first part, verse 3 through 8. He says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we thank. He's thanking God for them. He's thanking, God, we thank you. We thank the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So here he opens his prayer, and and I I think I just want to pause at that just for a second. Paul hears about him, and what is he motivated to do? Pray. He hears about people who are actually being faithful. This is a good, I mean, it's not like, God, will you open their eyes, help them to, help them to, to, to run away from their sin, repent of their sin, and turn to you. No, his prayer is actually, it's unique. It's this prayer of thanksgiving. He's so, and, it, and I think that's just a neat moment of, of, of hearing what Paul's heart is, that his heart is to say, man, I'm, I'm thankful for you, but not just, it's easy for us, right? We could be like, man, I'm so thankful for such and such. I'm really thankful for that person who cares for me. It's another, though, to be committed to praying for them. Here, his commitment is to pray for them, but he's like, I am thanking God on behalf of you. I'm thankful for the report I'm hearing of the fruitful ministry and the fruitful lives that you are living. But I want to I note a couple things, I think, that are interesting in this prayer of thanksgiving. And notice what he says. Look at verse, one, or verse 3 again, or verse 4, really. So he's, he's thankful for them, and he says this. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus 
and of the love that you have for all the saints. And notice he connects it like this linchpin of, of faith and love. And he says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And so notice this first aspect of his prayer, this is in your notes as well, is this, is that he, he's praying this knowledge, that they'll have this knowledge of Christ, and this knowledge of Christ has led to a love for others. That there's this connection between the two. They know Christ, they have faith in God, and it's led them to a love for others. Now, I want you to notice this. Here's the problem, right? This is the problem in our society. It's a problem in my heart. It's a problem in probably most of our hearts. Is that we tend to get sometimes one of these correct, but not both together. And the reality is both should be married together. They should be united together. They should work together. It's not just a love for God and, I have, man, I have this great faith, but there's not this, this love for others. It's not led to good works. You see, here's, here's what happens. It's this, is we need, and this is in your notes as well, we need right doctrine that leads to right living. We need both. We, can't, we don't need just one or the other, but the tendency is there's usually one and sometimes not the other. Um, for instance, um, a few years ago, so at Calvary Church, where I, where I came from uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, they were really known, there was a seminary, right, a, a seminary, so a school for pastors, teachers, different ones, these uh, professors and different ones called uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary, so SES, and they would have this conference every year, and it was called this Apologetics Conference, and they would have these big-time speakers come, and they would speak on different apologetics. And you're like, what in the world is a, what are they apologizing for? Well, apologetics is like a defense of your faith. So it's like knowing why you believe what you believe and being able to like, so for instance, an atheist comes up to you and you're like, man, I don't believe any of this stuff. And so apologetics would be like, okay, well, let me ask some questions. Let me, let me help defend my position as a believer, as a follower of Christ. And so they would have this conference called this apologetics conference every year. And one of the big-time speakers and someone that most of these men and, different, and women and different ones looked up to was a guy named Rabbi Ravi Zacharias. You may or may not have heard of him. Um, well, Ravi, we comes out and finds out. So, I mean, like, I mean, I've read several of his books. He's spoken at Calvary Church, the church that I uh, served at for about seven years. And, and uh, I mean, I've read a lot of his books. I've quoted. I've done Bible studies based off of some of his books and different things like that. Well, comes out after the fact, after he actually passed away, he ends up with cancer and he ends up passing away, and we find out really just a few weeks after um, some, some rumblings and rumors start happening and that there was these accusations against him, um, that, that he had uh, been very, very unfaithful um, in his ministry. And he had been, and he had, I mean, like, I, I don't go into the different details and all those kind of things. I mean, you can look at it, and I don't really spend time talking about that necessarily. But you can see, it's like, man, he had, I mean, he really did have the right doctrine. I mean, all of, his t- all of the teachings and books that, we had re- that I had read, I was right with him, and it was an encouragement, and it was a help to me. But yet there was, a dis- there was a disconnect between belief in God and faith in God and a life following God. There was a disconnect. But here's the other thing. I know plenty of people who look moral, who live maybe even moral lives, who say, I believe in God, but live as if he doesn't exist. Over and over again, there, listen, I think that could really sum up Christianity in America. Christianity in America is most, I mean, my heart breaks because I, I've, I've, I was that person. I grew up being that person. I sat in, in a pew in the church. I mean, my parents had me in church from when I was born. I mean, I was in a nursery. I mean, I ended up being a, a youth pastor at a church 
uh, in Charlotte, and then someone, I remember when I, I go there, and this lady introduced herself to me, uh, and I mean, I knew who she was, and she was like, I held you in the nursery back at Northside. I'm like, oh, good. <laughs> it means you probably changed my diaper, too. Um, and I was like, oh, that's great, you know, and so, but I, I grew up in the church. Um, people looked, listen, people looked at me, my, my peers looked at me. I was in a Christian school in a church, and my peers said, listen, like, he loves God, and so they, they voted me to be their chaplain for their class. Like, you're like, what kind of position is that? Well, that was a Christian school, and so there was like, I would like teach at different, and, and I would teach in different things. Uh, we have like different, like, class meetings and those kind of things. They'd have me share a devotion, those kind of things. Listen, all that time, I was far from God. I, I would look the part, and it wasn't like I looked the part, and I faked it behind the scenes. It wasn't like I was living an alternative lifestyle. No, I was moral. I mean, I, I had convictions, and I'm thankful that g- the grace of God was in my life while I was far from Him, where God was protecting me from making some really poor decisions during those years where I, my heart wasn't after God. You see, it's easy. I mean, there's plenty of people in this world. There's plenty of people who, like, are a good citizen. They make big impacts on society. They're humanitarians. They're different ones. They're raising money to, to build wells and to get clean water to the world and to get to these third world countries. And there's people who go on mission trips and they do great service and all these things. But listen, here's the thing. It's orthodoxy, the importance of having right doctrine. But also that leads to orthopraxy. It leads to a practice of, a lifestyle of, that models and matches your life of what you believe in. And here's the cool thing. Paul is like, man, I am thankful that both of these things are present in this church's life. That each of, like, these people, maybe not every single one of them, but collectively as a group of believers, they had right doctrine. They believed the right things. But they also had the right lifestyle. They had a love for other people, and it was infectious, and it was known. I mean, it's telling us here, look at verse verse 4 again, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So again, they have right belief. Okay, they, they, they believe in Christ Jesus. And notice this, what it leads to, and of the love that you have for all the saints, because, notice it's connected again, and we talked about this last week, the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word, notice this, here's some key phrase again, the word of truth, right truth, right doctrine, right beliefs the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And you notice this, which has come to you and indeed into the whole world, that it is, well, notice this, bearing fruit and increasing. Listen, these were evidences in this church. It's pretty remarkable. But here's the reality is this is my prayer for me. This is my prayer for us as a church that we would be known that, we're, we, that we believe in right truth, that we believe in the Bible, that we center our lives, that we submit to Scripture, but we also don't just hammer people with Scripture. We love people. We love them with truth, but we do this filled with grace, that we would care for a community, that would care for one another, meet each other's needs. This is what I want us to be known for, man, and I'm thankful for so many of you who model this. And this was Paul's opening prayer of thanksgiving. And so then we transition to the second prayer, this prayer of petition, this prayer of a request. He's requesting, he's asking things of God on behalf of these people. Look at verse, verse 9. It says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased 
to pray for you. Asking, notice here, again, petition, he's asking. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Notice this, again, the connection of truth that leads to to this right doctrine, this right truth, this right belief that leads to good works and action. Notice this, he says this, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as... Here's the reason you do this, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, you might be like, okay, Eric, wait a minute. That's, the same, that's kind of the same thing he just thanked for. You know, because here's your next point in your notes. So it's his prayer petition. He says this. Gr- he's praying to, that they would grow or growth in the knowledge of God and good works. His prayer now, his request, is that they'll grow in the knowledge uh, of God and that it would lead to good works. But you're like, well, that's, Eric, you just spent 10 minutes talking about that with the prayer of thanksgiving. So if he's thankful for it being present in their life, why is he praying for it? And I think it's pretty simple, right? It's, it's, he's praying that they're going to grow in this, that they'll keep growing. The emphasis here is on this that we need to hear is we need to be always growing. You know, a problem I believe with most professing Christians is at least the ones I know in America are they are apathetic, lazy, complacent, content to just live their life with nothing really changed. I mean, this is the average person. I mean, can I, t- I, can t- I cannot tell you how many people that we've had a conversation with, that I've had a conversation with, my wife's had a conversation with, others of you that I've heard from, you talk to people, they know about Jesus. They've, most of them have actually attended church before, right? Like they, they've gone to church, and it's, e- it's so easy. It's easy to just kind of get in a, in a groove of your life and just kind of go through the motions and live your life. But here, he's praying that they're going to have more of him, that they're going to grow in the knowledge, and this knowledge of God is going to lead them to good works, I think of this in a, any kind of relationship that we have, right? When we're in a relationship with someone, we, we might say, oh, man, I love you so much, right? I remember, man, being, a, being a, a, a high school pastor was sometimes very challenging and frustrating, and sometimes it was just kind of fun to just sit back and watch. And you're like, I mean, the love, the love triangles going on and all this kind of stuff in those high school groups, and you're like, man, this, he, this girl is falling over this guy. If she knew how terrible of a person he was, she would, ha- she would not go after this guy, but yet for some reason, they're like, the girls like the, the, the rough, I mean, like, I watch it every, every time, you know, these, these guys who were like, man, I'm too cool for this, like, they're like, they're macho, all this kind of stuff, the girls are like fawning over this guy, and here's the guy who actually seems like he cares about his mom, he loves people, he's, he's like considerate, and they're like, who cares about him, I want that guy, right, like, <laughs> you ladies, you know what I'm talking about, you do, I know, I've watched it, I've watched it for years, uh, as a high school pastor, and but you'll see there's this love, and they, they think it's love, but it's lust, ultimately. They're like, man, you're, you're very attractive. I like you, and then what happens? They get to know them, and they realize maybe they do like them, maybe they don't, but what happens is you grow in that. I mean, when, when I first met Amanda, yes, I thought she was attractive, and that's what it first initially drew, drew me to her. I'm like, hey, I want to know this girl. She's really fast, too. Like, she's athletic. She likes things like I like. She's chasing me on a flag football field, and I'm like, Come on, bring it. Let's go. It's like she, one, at one point, okay, pause, time out, time out, time out. 
So at one point, she really thought, she was like, I think she thought she might be faster than me. And so she was like, she wanted to like, we literally did a race to see if, and you're probably wondering who won. It's a good question. No, I'm just kidding. I, th- I think I sneaked it out. But, uh, but right now, I think I could beat you in a race. <laughs> I, even today, even today, I think I could still beat you. Um, and just maybe once your foot heals, maybe not. But, um, but you know, like what happens though, you get to know someone, you, you grow in the knowledge of that person. Now here's the reality. Sometimes as you get to know someone, you start to see the warts, you start to see the flaws, you get to see the errors, you get to see the mistakes, you get to see the ugliness of, of two people. Like you put, I mean, that's what I try to tell in marriage counseling is like, look, what did you expect when you put two sinful people in the same household together? Do you think you're just going to get bliss? Like, you're, you're dreaming if you think that's going to be the case. Like, it's conflict. It's hard to live. Like, I can't imagine living with me. I mean, you're so gracious, right? Like, like I mean, it, it, it's so easy to, because two sinners, put them in a home for there to be conflict. Why? Because, listen, if you, like, you spend more time with me, I hope that you get to see Christ in me. But I do realize the closer you get, the more you're going to see the flaws. You're going to see the mistakes. Here's what we see in, in Scripture, and this is what Paul's saying. This is not, this might be true about humans. The more you get to know them, the more you get to see the ugliness. But the reality is with Christ, the more you see Christ, the more you see His beauty. And what, what Paul's saying is, I want you, Colossian church, to grow in this area. Continue to, listen to what he says, look at the, listen to the language. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Here's what I'm, I'm begging the Lord on behalf of you. Notice what he says, ceased. Like, I haven't ceased, I mean, this isn't a one-time prayer. I'm sitting in a jail cell praying, oh yeah, I gotta, call, I gotta pray for the Colossian church. Like, it's like, man, I am begging the Lord on, on your behalf that you will grow. And notice what he says, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That you may know him so that it will lead, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That it will lead to good works, that it will lead to a lifestyle pleasing to the Lord. And this is so what uh, we need as well. And ultimately, the more you love God, the more you will love others. The more you will take um, this one life we have been given and live it to make him known. And Paul's saying, this is my request, my request for these people, that they'll grow in the knowledge of God and good works. The second request that he prays here is this. Notice what he says. He prays that they will have the strength to be patient and endure. He prays that, he prays that God will give them the strength to be patient and endure. Look at these next verses, verse 11. It says, may you, so he's praying this still. Again, remember, this is him praying for them. He's talking to God about these things and communicating what he's praying for them. He says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. You see, Paul is praying that they'll have the strength to be patient and endure. I don't know about you, but patience is not my middle name. <laughs> like, like, endurance sometimes isn't either. I mean, you can just look at me, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not running marathons anytime soon. <laughs> um, the idea of running a race or, or enduring through hardships some is, is incredibly, incredibly hard. Um, some of the, the hardest parts of my life have been through the challenges and trials of life, and you're like, I don't know if I have the energy. I don't know if I have the willpower, the strength 
to endure, to patiently wait on the Lord and to endure through a trial or endure through a difficulty. And listen, it is, and I, I want to agree with you and agreeing with myself, I guess, is like, listen, it is hard. Really, ultimately, it's impossible to endure and to be patient. Notice, I, I want you to notice what it says in this passage. He's not saying, man, man, will you just have the willpower, the strength to fight through the challenges of life? Notice what he says, verse 11 again. May you be strengthened with all power. So he's asking for strength with all power. But notice what he says. According to his glorious might. Whose power? Listen, be strengthened by his power. Um, my, my boys, uh, I love them. I love them to death. And, and so when, uh, I mean, as watching them grow has been one of the joys of my life. And uh, one of the challenges too. I'm not going to lie. Like the challenges are real, right? But one of the joys is just watching them grow, and it's so much, it's so much fun, uh, and, and you're like, Eric, you're lying through your teeth. It is not always fun. Okay, it's not always fun, but like a lot of, the li- of my life watching my boys, is, I'm just amazed by them. I've been amazed this week as Levi has just loved his mom and wanted to be like, like this morning, like normally the boys, both of them come with me, and they set up the children's space, and so last night we were like, you know, it'd probably be best if someone can help Amanda not be by herself in the morning with our uh, special needs daughter by herself hobbling on a foot and uh, and Levi's like so we I was like Levi what if you stay what if you stay because you know I mean he loves his donuts as you all know (laughs) he loves his donuts he loves getting here and setting up and grabbing his donuts and he still got them this morning I saw him he had two and uh, but but in that he was I was like you know what if you what if you stay home and he's like yeah I think I could do that I'll stay home. I'll help mom. Uh, I, I've been enjoying watching him grow and watching Colson and, and Graceland. Um, but, but there was a, a moment just a, probably a few months ago. We had not moved. We had moved from Charlotte to our new home in uh, Hamilton Mill. And quickly, not long after, like it only been a couple weeks. And a couple weeks into our new home, the power goes out. The boys are, we have a basement downstairs. The boys like to be down in the basement sometimes. But not at night when the power goes out. And so I was, I was on the main floor. I think, Amanda, you were upstairs in our bedroom. And uh, those boys have never run as fast as they possibly can up those steps before. They come flying up. And you know who they're looking for? They're looking for me. They're like, where's dad? And hopefully, maybe, where's the flashlight? <laughs> right? But they come running to me because in that moment, they're terrified. It is completely dark in the basement. I mean, it was completely dark in our house. I mean, the lights on the outside of our house, I mean, the whole street was complete. I mean, the power had gone out everywhere. I mean, it was dark. And what do they do? They're going to run for me. They want to find, where's dad? Dad's going to keep me safe. Uh, another aspect of Levi that I love, again, stay that a little bit facetiously about love, but um, is almost every single night, uh, he, he does not like going to bed. Um, it's not his favorite thing to do is go to bed. And so, uh, Every night he will prolong that as long as possible. If you have kids that are a little bit older, you know this happens, and it always happens. And so Levi likes prolonging, but he does genuinely, he starts to fall apart. Just like a lot of kids, you're like, yep, my kids fall apart too. Um, well, what's so neat though, I will say this is neat. I'm sometimes very not gracious. Again, you get closer to me, you might see my flaws, uh, especially when it comes to bedtime routines. I'm like, all right, I'm ready for some peace and quiet. I'm like, let me get you kids away from me so I can just enjoy my day or my night of freedom, uh, even if it's for 30 minutes. But um, he, when he's going to bed, <laughs> he, he, he will literally, I mean, he can stay up for, for an hour or more when it's like him by himself in his room. 
Like, he'll lay in there, and he'll be like, he'll come back out. Like, I just can't sleep. I can't sleep. I need some sleep medicine, or I need something. I need help. And, and, and then he'll come back again, like, I just can't sleep. My brain's going too fast and all this stuff. But you know what happens if I sit on that bed with him? That boy will go to sleep in less than five minutes. It's like his heart calms with me sitting there beside him. You see, I, I really believe I'm definitely not God, and I don't like using illustrations that com- compare me to God. But a father figure, what is so neat is to see how my presence in their life brings a security and a power that they didn't know they had. I mean, the other day I was talking to Levi, and he's like, I was like, who do you think stronger, me or you? What do you think he said? <laughs> he's like, me, I'm stronger. I'm like, all right, let's see. Let's te- I want to test his strength. I want him to test his strength because I want him to, to see how, how strong or weak I am, but I also wanna, I want him to experience that, but I want him to also, for him to test his strength, but I want him to know that I want to be strong for him that I want to defend him, I want to be there for him, that I can be a a strong tower. But here's the reality, I also want him to see that God is way stronger than I am, and that when I'm not present, God is there with you. God can be these things for you. And Paul's saying, I'm praying this for you, I'm praying that you'll experience, that you'll experience this kind of, of strength. It's a strength that comes from God. Put your trust in His might. Know that you can endure patiently through challenges because of his might in you. That's the next prayer request he asks. And the last one he prays is this. I want you to notice this. Look at verse, um, verses uh, 13 and 14, or 12, 13, and 14. He says this, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. You see, this is exactly what we need to endure, uh, to endure these trials and different things like this. But notice what he says, Paul's final prayer. He says, I'm praying that they would experience joyful gratitude for what God has done. He's praying for this joyful gratitude for what God has done in their life. Notice again what he says. He's saying, give thanks to the Father who has qualified you. I, I just noticed that phrase right there, who has qualified you. Like, let that rest in your heart for a second. He qualifies you. You don't qualify for Him. He qualifies you. Like, you're not good enough to earn His love. You're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. He, what He has done, when we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday, it's because He says it's finished. Not because I said, look what I've done. He says, I've declared it has been done for you. I qualify you. Put your faith in me. And so He says, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's like, you get to share this inheritance. Notice, He has delivered us. Notice what He has done. Here's what God has done for you. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. I know that's a quick, long sentence there, but listen to it again. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. When we went to China uh, to, to adopt our daughter, Graceland, I, st- I mean, there's so many memories of that trip um, that were hard and just lead to tears every once in a while. When we watch the videos and we do different things, one video we have um, of her is we're just sitting on the bed and we're just playing this song, No Longer Slaves. You might probably have 
heard of that song maybe before. If not, I would encourage you to listen to it. But um, the idea that uh, I am a child of God, that no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. And we play this song in, in, in our hotel room, and I just remember how hard it was. Like, we're saying, like, you're free. Like, you can do what, like, we're just going to follow you around. Like, here's this hotel room. You just run around. You do whatever you want. But you know where she would want to be? And it breaks my heart every time I think about it. She'd want to be in the crib. She'd want to be in the crib. She'd want to be in the crib often. And that would be like her safe place. And it was because that's all she knew. For three and a half years in the orphanage. And we sit there, and I remember there was, t- like, in the morning, we were like, we were just like, man, you could lay with us. Like, we don't even let our boys do that. Like, here, you come lay with us in bed. Like, you can, you can sleep with us in our bed. You can, you can get a bath if you want. Like, what, basically, what do you want? We'll provide it for you. I love you. I don't want to lavish you. And what she wanted was the crib. And I really think this is, this is what we see in the people of Israel. The peop- we looked at this Good Friday, if you remember. The Israelites, they've been freed from slavery in Egypt. And they don't, and they're like, we're going to die in this wilderness. Moses, what have you done? Why did you lead us out? We'd be, we were better off in Egypt as slaves. And even after they cross the Red Sea and God provides for them to get through and get to this promised land, like I have, I want to lavish you with my grace. I want to lavish you with my love. And I want to pour out myself to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be your God and you'll be my people. And they're like, but we don't like manna. We don't like what you're providing. I want to go back to Egypt. You're like, you want to go back to your slavery? You're no longer a slave. You're free. Man, I think this is so many of us. We're caught in the things of this world, and we're, here's what we're doing, going back to the very beginning of the message. For some reason, we like lesser things, and we settle for lesser things. When God is saying, I have freed you to be an inheritor of, listen what he says, I have delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred. He literally takes you, he's transferring you to the kingdom of his beloved son. Like, listen, I mean, Grace, when, when we adopted her, she went from nothing to something. I'm no king and I don't live a luxurious life. But can you imagine, though, like you're like in a caste system. You're a slave. You're the bottom of the totem pole. Literally, you're a person who's washing people's feet at the door. You're the lowest slave. And then all of a sudden, the king says, I choose you come be in my family. D- your life just changed forever. You were taken from this dark, broken life of just being a slave and, he, and been taken to his family. Listen, this is what God does. He says, you get all that the son gets. The son has set you free. You're free indeed. This is the reality of the res- resurrection, the resurrection life that we can have. And this is what Paul has tried to get at in this great, wonderful book. He is lifting high the name of Christ. And he's saying, and we're going to look at this next week, the preeminence and the supremacy of Christ, how wonderful, how beautiful he is. And we're going to see the majesty of who he is. And he's telling us in this prayer, this is what he wants for these people. I want them to experience the hope that they can have by knowing me more, to know Christ. Paul said it this way. Paul said it in another letter. He said it this way, to know him and the power of his resurrection. And he said, this is basically all I want to know. I just want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Listen, you can experience this too. Listen, you can be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of our beloved son, the one and only Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. You can be a part of his family. He 
desires to adopt you. He's accomplished all of it. He's already done it. All it is is we receive it. Receive it by faith. I want to I pray. I want to pray. And listen, I, I want you to really reflect on these, this prayer that he's saying. And that, that we would know him. This is my desire for Redeemer Community Church. That we would know Christ. That we would know him. That we would know the power of his resurrection. The life that we could live because of Christ. I mean, that is my prayer, that you would know him. I pray that you would experience his power, his might working in and through you to give you the endurance and the patience to withstand the difficulties and trials of this life. And that you'll joyfully, with a joyful heart and with a grateful heart, realize what God has done for you and put your faith in him. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much. Thank you so much for this this book that we're going to get to look at over the next few weeks. God, you are a good God, a gracious God. You are, as Austin read earlier, you are um, merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love. Uh, Father, I thank you for your grace, your goodness. I thank you that when we look more at you, we don't find flaws. We just find more perfection. God, I know if people looked into my heart, they would see the imperfections, the ugliness of a sinful, broken heart. Thank you, though, that, God, you have washed me clean through your shed blood on a cross. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for the resurrection life that we can have because of him. I pray that we would live in light of this, that our hearts would be melted by knowing you. I pray this just as Paul has prayed for us. I pray that for my life. I pray that for the lives of these uh, here today. I pray for those who are away from us as well, traveling, their family, different things. Different things. I pray for your protection on them as well. But God, we want to worship you from our hearts. May it not be superficial. May it not be, uh, may it be authentic. May it be genuine. May our doctrine and our lifestyle blend. Um, that it be a union of right doctrine and right lifestyle. So help us in these things. We need your help. We need your grace to live a transformed life. So help us, Father. We ask all this in the matchless name of Christ Jesus.